0: Hello and welcome to another New Criterion podcast. Today is Thursday, January the eighteenth, two thousand eighteen. I'm Eric Simpson, associate editor of the New Criterion, and I am here again with Jay Nordlinger, my good friend, our music critic and senior editor at National Review. Jay, happy two thousand eighteen. We've missed a couple of weeks of the uh, of the spring semester of music, and yes, uh, we might uh, we might get to those in a second. But I'm going to, as I always do, hit you with that. Surprise last minute question and ask you if there's anything from the first half that you want to highlight. Oh as man, uh,
1: oh man, if I had a, I would need just a minute, I think. We can't afford that on the air, so how about
0: you? Let, let's start with your offerings. Um, there were so many good recitals. Um, Already
1: in 2018
0: or 2018? Two th- well, no, 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 in 2017.
1: Oh, I must must have misunderstood your question.
0: No. Oh, highlights from the first semester. Highlights from the first semester. Oh, that'll take or more than a minute one. for me to think of. Even just one. Okay, I thought of one. Go ahead. No, you first, if, you th- if you've if you got one.
1: I, uh, I heard a fantastic, a first-rate concert by the New York Philharmonic, conducted by Pavo Yervi, Neme's son. It was one of the best orchestral concerts I can remember attending. It was pretty much perfect. It was musical and invigorating. Also, it began with a solonin work, a very good work, short piece for orchestra, can't remember its name. And then Leifova Ansnes, Leifova Ansnes, the Norwegian pianist, played Rachmaninoff's piano concerto Number 4, which is a bit of an orphan among piano concertos, and he made a very good case for it. And then Pavel conducted the Sibelius Symphony Number 5. And I left thinking, you know, I, I arrived at the auditorium not expecting, I thought it would be good, well, better than good, you know. Yervi is excellent. Ansless is excellent, but you know, it was just another Phil—that is, neurophrenic subscription concert. But it was a first-rate musical experience.
0: Hmm. Well, it's uh, so one that we talked about in our in our preview. That I, I know you—you uh, you said you were not going to see the Exterminating Angel by Thomas Adès,
1: right? Because I'd reviewed it from Salzburg before. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Mm. I found it found it totally invigorating. It's a it's a wild sort of piece. It's it's a it's a obviously a wild bizarre story. But uh, yeah, I think that was the best thing that I saw at the Met all fall. Granted, well, I, I also think this has been a pretty sort of a snooze of a mediocre season.
1: season yeah. Well, let's face it, you're an intellectual,
0: <laughs> and so something like that oddest piece would. It says a long time editor of National no. Review, but. <laughs> no. Well, so I I think along those lines, we should start off with The Met because sure. there are a couple of things that are running right now right. that I really want to highlight. Um, one, of course, is Tosca, which opened a new production on New Year's Eve, a new production directed by David McVicker, who's having, sort of having himself a season at The Met. He, uh, he directed the opening night production of Norma, too. Mm-hmm. And in the current cast, we have Sonia Yoncheva in the title role and Vittorio Grigolo as as Cavaradosi. I thought the two of them were just outstanding. Yoncheva mm-hmm. is she, she's not sort of as as big a presence on stage as as many Toscas have been, but I thought it was a it was an extremely moving performance. She's a pretty big presence. Yeah. She's she's a pretty big presence, but she's not a. Um, I, I, so the soprano is going to be taking this over later in the run I don't know Trebko is I mean she she walks on stage presence. and she's sort of she's already filled the uh, a 3800 seat auditorium before she's even sung a note Yeah. and uh, Vittorio Grigolo you say Grigolo he says Grigolo, he says Grigolo. Yeah. I, I guess I'll say yeah. it too then yeah. um, he I'd like to say he's only got one speed and that speed is turbo so it doesn't work for everything. Um, and in fact when he when he sang the aria Eluche van Lestelle at the Met 60th, 50th anniversary gala last May, I thought, oh my god, he's just he's milking it for all it's worth. Let's get on with this. And I was shocked when he actually toned it down in the uh, in the operatic performance and played it as a really compelling scene.
1: Yeah, he, he was very good on the night I attended, except for his first aria, Reconit Armonia, which was just clownish, sloppy and swoony and clownish. It was, mm. it was just so shabby, uh, like the stereotype of a dumb Italian tenor. Uh, but otherwise, his singing was very, very good. He almost defines ardor, and you can't say his heart is not in it. You can't say he's ever phoning it in. Right. And was fine. I thought he did some things better than others, but I I thought he was better than fine, exceptionally good. And I was really impressed with the Serbian baritone who sang Scarpia. I'm sorry I can't think of his name. It has a lot of diacritic sound. Jerko Lucic? Sounds good to me. And I consider him, look, he's a very good singer, but sometimes sort of workaday, right? And um, serviceable, good enough. He played and sang a very, very canny Scarpia. One of the best I've ever seen and heard. I was mightily impressed. And I haven't written my uh, little piece uh, about this yet. But I think I may lead with him rather than with the um, the stars with higher voices.
0: Yeah. Well, that, uh, that whole second act, and to me really the interaction between uh, between Scarpia and Um, And Tosca is one of the most, it's one of the greatest single acts of any opera. It's a great opera. Um, Anyone who is dumb enough
1: to sneer at Puccini, the first thing you need to throw at him is
0: Tosca. hmm. What do you, what do you think of the new production? Great. Yeah. Marvelous.
1: And I know this sounds like an insult, but I didn't notice it. It was just Tosca. Hmm. Except I did do a little noticing in the last act. I thought there were touches I'd never seen before. And oh, I'll give you one in the second act I'd never seen. Ever. I've seen a great many taskas. I've never seen her stab Scarpia more than once. Ever. She goes back for more. She goes back for a second
0: blow. Yeah.
1: She goes back for
0: seconds, so to speak. Well, I mean, she she needs to. He keeps talking after uh, after he stabs her the first time. After (laughs) she stabs him the first time. So I I am being sort of lighthearted but no it it's um it is a
1: production that simply serves Tosca and that it is and, and that is the opera. Mm-hmm. And so it's my usual line is he need, he ought to be kicked out of the directors guild. <laughs> uh because he has has fashion of production utterly at the service of the music the libretto and the
0: story. Yeah. Well um so there's, there is a second cast of that coming down the pike with uh, Anna Netrebko and Marcello Alvarez. Yeah. So And Michael Vole, Scarp- Scarpia. Yeah. Um, so that will certainly be uh, be worth hearing. But to, returning to your point about, about her uh, really astonishing moment of violence uh, in the in the second act, it's... Uh, what, who was it that called it a shabby little shocker on its Yeah, premiere? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but in order to shock, I mean, moments like that really do have to be arresting and so for her to keep yeah, she going offed back, him she she often, him yeah. yeah
1: absolutely he's a big guy too uh, it t- takes more than one blow sometimes to fell something like that
0: right and speaking um, speaking of operas with sort of a pointed ending if you will uh, although I guess that's not really the ending the end of scarpia right the other another thing running right now that I urge anyone listening to go see it while you still can is the the revival of the Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci double bill. The Cavalleria, first of all, the pairing, I I am always harping on this. I really don't think it's, even though the Met's been doing it this way for 100 years, I don't think it's a very good pairing. It's sort of, I don't think it really flatters the Cavalleria. It sort of sets up the, uh, the Pagliacci with a, a rather slow-moving hour and 20 minutes of drama. Much better in my mind to pair it with a comedy. The first time I ever saw a double bill with Pagliacci was Johnny uh, Schicchi, and it was absolutely perfect. But anyway, um, the Cavalleria production that they have at the Met by David McVicker, it's a good January for him, is, uh, to my eye, pretty dreary. The Pagliacci is one of my single favorite things in the Met repertory. Also by, by David McVicar. And it just, to me, totally captures the spirit of the piece. Uh, the the tra- traditional commedia dell'arte scene that I think doesn't read all that naturally to an American audience is translated into vaudeville. And it's hilarious. And, and making it hilarious, I think, is so crucial to the success of that scene that you need to be, pardon me, laughing your ass off so that when it all starts to unravel, the emotional power of it is is that much more. And this current cast with Roberto Alagna um and his I think they're married, but they do they're definitely together. Um so his wife or or partner Alexandra Kurzak as as Neda is just sensational. I can't think of many performances that I have seen at the Met that were more emotionally powerful than that. Mm-hmm. I was, I was sobbing as the curtain came down on it.
1: Yeah, well, he um, Alania is great in, in Cav and Pag. I must say, I do like the pairing very much. Maybe because I grew up with it. I'm used to it. It seems natural to me. Mm. I wouldn't, speaking of Johnny Skiki, I wouldn't like a comedy preceding a tragedy. I can you see it a comedy for dessert. Now, after all, it's the third leg of the tritico, which is where Skiki belongs. Right. Puccini's tritico but it might be a matter of what, simply what a person's used to.
0: Yeah, it might be. See, uh, my uh, I guess it's my uh, melancholy disposition. I want to have my amuse-bouche <laughs> and then be sent home with something to think about. <laughs> and uh, one other thing that I actually just saw a couple days ago, um La d'Amore, uh, Donizetti, and it, it runs through February 17th. It's the Bartlett Cher production that we've seen here the last few years. Uh, pretty yende was... Adina, and I think she was sick. In fact, on her social media, she was sort of, she didn't comment directly, but she was telling people, uh, "Please, please keep me keep me in your thoughts in advance of this performance tonight," um, and and she sounded like she was struggling. Matthew Polenzani was just sublime as Nemorino. That wonderful aria, "Una furtiva lagrima," it was just like the. It was about the platonic ideal of how Mm -hmm. that aria should be sung. Spoken like a classic scholar. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. I agree. He's He's a He's he's a great Nemorino and other things.
0: Yeah. Anything else catching your eye? Give Mm Pavarotti a listen. Oh, well, yes. I've heard heard that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that one, too. Unfortunately, I never heard it in the house. No. You want, from me at the Met, um, at the right page here,
1: well, the upcoming music director, your fellow Philadelphian, I, I guess Sagan, of a sort, yeah. He'll be conducting Parsifal. Yes. And I think it'll be a test of what the Met is getting. I don't have high hopes, <laughs> but I would love to be proved wrong. See, I, I, think, uh... it'll be, I think it'll be a nice test. And also, conductors conductor is mature, and he is barely out of the gates. Yeah. It's a very big job for, well, so is the Philadelphia Orchestra.
0: Well, I uh, I agree that it'll be a big test. However, I do have high hopes. In fact, uh, when people ask me what should I go see this spring, I I say every time, number one, go see this Parsifal, and I Why? do th- I do think he'll lead it very well. For one thing, some of the he doesn't have a lot of experience in Wagner, and that's that's a fair concern. But some of the the Verdi but shouldn't
1: you get that experience in Podunk. Rather than the pit of the Metropolitan Opera, New York City. Yeah. I mean, Carlehan spent all those all those years in Aachen yeah. you know, before he ever showed his face in Vienna.
0: James Levine was 30-what when he showed up at the Met? Also James Levine. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right, but he wasn't James Levine yet. Yeah, he pretty much was. Let me tell you a story.
1: There's so many stories to tell. It was told to me by Donald Arthur. And I can't remember the name of this very senior conductor from Austria or germany how to be at the aspen music festival and he happened on a rehearsal being led by levine and he said who's that and someone said to him oh that's jimmy levine from cincinnati he's going to juilliard next year and this veteran conductor said why <laughs> but anyway go well, ahead.
0: well well i think uh, even though he even though Sagan has not le- done a lot of wagner so far his track record, and some of the other things I've heard him do, gives me a lot of hope in, in some really big scores. I think in particular of a Don Carlo by Verdi from a couple of years ago that was like... It sounded to me like a Mahler symphony almost. It was such an, a, a huge, rich reading of that score. And to me, that is, that is those are qualities that you want in a reading of a piece like Parsifal. I also am very excited about a couple of members of the cast, uh, particularly Peter Mattei as Amfortas. He sang that role when this production premiered a, f- a few years back and was just out of this world. We also have Klaus Florian Vogt uh, Voigt, who's um, very celebrated in this in the role of Parsifal. I don't think I've heard him do it. I don't think he's done it in this country. So yeah, this is this is for me really the kind of the event of the spring. I have uh, Christine Gürky in
1: Electra. Very interested to see what she can do in that role.
0: Also conducted by that uh, that same man that you have such high hopes for, Yannick neze Oh, is he? Yeah. But that'll be another test. It takes gravitas, that opera. It does, but I think it takes blood and guts, too. Yes, that's part of it, yeah.
1: It'll be interesting to hear Kelly O'Hara, the great Broadway star, mm-hmm. as Despina. Mozart's Cusifantute. One of the best bel canto conductors I know is Roberto Abbado, the nephew of the late Claudio. And he's, conduct- he's conducting Lucia di Lammermoor*. The opera will be in very good hands with him. And then our old friend Vittorio Grigolo will be Edgardo.
0: Right. And an interesting pair of sopranos splitting the title role, too. Oh, yeah, who are they? Uh, Pretty Yende, the aforementioned, who is, she's, fast becoming, I think, one of the the real hot stars of, um, of, of Bel Canto Sopranos. And the other is formerly known as Olga Pertiatko, Now she's officially listed on the Met website as Olga Pertiatko Mariotti. Nice. Yeah. Taking the hyphen. Very nice. Um, it's another marriage of a conductor
1: and a soprano. Yes. There have been many of those in history. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but I I wanna return briefly to that Cosy Fantute that you're talking about. That is another one of the new productions uh of this season by Felon McDermott, whom I'm not sh- who I, I'm not sure has done anything at the Met before. But I I also was sort of intrigued by the idea of uh Kelly O'Hara as the Spina. I remember her doing a she was in Mouse a few years ago. Yeah. Um no, 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 it wasn't Mouse it was it was the Merry Widow. Else. Oh, it was the Merry Widow um, in a new production that was headlined by Renee Fleming. Oh, and she, was, was, she really, was in that. Yeah, I huh, Forgot about that. And I was really pleasantly surprised by it. She She's a big talent, isn't she? She's a big talent. I mean, well, Mozart's you, different. You can tell. From it, Lehigh, oh, it's right? it's certainly different. Yeah. And you can sort of tell she hasn't she hasn't been singing unmiked in major opera houses in many many years. In fact, I think that was. Though she had studied opera, it was her first real operatic role as a professional. You think she'll be unmiked at the Met? She was. Okay. I mean, I, I know you're suspicious, but they they insist that uh, Good. that everybody's unmiked, and Good. it's it's pretty hard to get a uh, to get a body mic on somebody without it being seen. Good. But she. Uh, but to your point, she sounded a little small to me in that. Uh, in that role. So surely if she were mic'd, they wouldn't, uh, yeah. they wouldn't undermic her.
1: Last I have, uh, Joyce DiDonato as Sondrillon, mm. uh, Massenet's Cinderella. And, um, that is something that a mezzo like Di Tonato always wants to wrap her voice around and act. And, um, you know, Rodrigo Van Stade did it famously. Many, many have. And I don't remember hearing Di Donato in that role. General, yes, that's the Rossini Cinderella. But Sandrion, the French Cinderella, I don't believe I've ever heard her. And I
0: look forward to it. It's a Metropolitan Opera premiere, I believe. A company premiere. The production? No, the opera. I don't The f- opera itself. Yes. Goodness gracious. Wow. I'm surprised. They've done well by Massenet recently. Yeah. Um I I have to say, that a very good friend of mine is actually making his Metropolitan debut in that. In That's that production. terrific. Who's that? His name's David Lee. He's a basso profondo, and yet he's being cast as uh, the superintendent of pleasures. But he, which isn't, uh, sounds like a juicy role. It, it is. A, it is a juicy role. I'm not sure it's quite his. Uh, you know, he's a commendatore. through How and do through. you know him?
1: College? Classmate. What did he? What did he major in?
0: Music. What as a composer, he... though. Ah, oh, huh. One more thing before we move on from the Met that I want to just touch on briefly. There's a revival of Il Trovatore coming up next week. Also a David McVicker production, the month of McVicker. Um, And it's starring Jennifer Rowley as Leonora. I heard her last season as um, Roxana in a very little-known opera based on, uh, based on Cyrano de Bergerac, which, for me, was the surprise hit of the spring. That was also um, with Roberto Alania. Alfano? Alfano. It was revived for Domingo. Right, mm. and it was most recently revived mm. for, uh, for Alania. Mm. And it was... I, I had never heard this thing before, and mm. it was just... It was devastating. It was mm. beautiful... Uh it was it was charming and it was devastating. And Jennifer Rowley was a a large part of that. She was um she's got a lovely voice and a, a wonderful lively stage presence too. So moving on from the Met.
1: Yeah. Where do you want to go next?
0: Uh, I would say Carnegie Hall. My uh my notes on that Let's go. are extensive. Okay. Actually, I sort of want to make a general note about this spring. Mm. Jay, can you think of any as you say again in your uh, in your upcoming piece in the New Criterion, anniversaries seem to be the organizing principle of the music industry. Can you think of any anniversary for Schubert? Mm-hmm. Seventeen ninety-seven to eighteen twenty-eight
1: mm-hmm. mm. doesn't
0: doesn't seem like an anniversary year, and yet I'm seeing Schubert everywhere mm. now. To me, every year is a Schubert year, right? And maybe that's just what we're uh, we're seeing, but. This weekend, uh, this Saturday, in fact, Jonas Kaufmann and Helmut Deutsch are performing performing Schöne Müllerin on the main stage at at Carnegie Hall.
1: I can't tell you about Kaufmann. It's unpredictable, but Deutsch is going to be very, very good.
0: Well, Kaufmann, hopefully at least he'll be there. Um, he's, He's done a lot of counseling in the last few years. Mitsuko Uchida is doing two programs of Schubert Sonatas. Shai Wozner at the 92nd Street Y is doing two programs of Schubert sonatas. Christophe Pregardian is singing at the 92nd Street Y a Winterreise. And I believe somewhere in my Carnegie Hall notes, I've also got a... Uh, oh, Chamber Music Society tomorrow night is doing an homage to Schubert concert. <laughs> and somewhere in my Carnegie Hall notes, I have an all Schubert or Schubert-inspired program by the orchestra of St. Luke's. I tell you, that guy got a lot done in his brief years. Yeah, he did. A lot done. I remember someone telling me
1: many years ago that if Beethoven had lived as long as Schubert, the only Beethoven symphony we would have is number one. Yeah. That is a startling thing to realize.
0: Oh, yeah. Here's the here's the Orpheus. Oh, no, it's Orpheus. It's not uh, it's St. Luke's. Mm. Lisa Batyashvili uh, is, is the guest... Uh, the guest violinist doing the only thing on the program that doesn't like, have anything was, to do with Schubert. Yeah, I was going to say that the Prokofiev Violin Concerto Number Two. Oh, good. But everything else, you have the uh, the Schubert Entracte from Rosamunde. Yeah. We, of course, we mostly know Rosamunde, or I mostly know Rosamunde through the uh, through the string quartet that he wrote based on mm. um, based on some of that material. Prokofiev Schubert waltzes and the unfinished Eighth Symphony. <laughs>
1: Sounds good. Yeah. Well, the first Carnegie Hall item I have is uh, Marilyn Horn's Masterclass on January 24th. Uh, she is obviously one of the greatest singers in history, but a great teacher as well. And I've learned so much from her uh, by listening to her, of course, and on, 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 on some occasions talking with her. Uh, but in attending her masterclasses, you can learn so much about singing, about repertoire, about music. Then I would note the piano recital by Stephen Huff, which is a lot of Debussy, and it ends with a Beethoven sonata, the F minor sonata called Appassionata. And there's some pairings of well-known musicians, and sometimes these pairings don't work. Uh, two stars, let's say. And sometimes they do, marvelously. So uh, Matthias Goerne, the German baritone, uh, is performing a recital with Daniel Trifonoff, the young Russian pianist. And Joshua Bell, the violinist, and Jeremy Denk, the pianist, are teamed. And much later, what was I looking at? We have Itzhak Perlman and Martha Argerich. Now, don't you have a policy on Itzhak Perlman, as I recall? Yeah. I might break it this spring. I decided decided to stop reviewing him many years ago. Many years ago. I thought he was suffering a great deal and couldn't really play. What's the point of saying that, except more than once? But then others say, no, that sometimes he's really Itzhak Perlman. (laughs) Um, What's your impression of this, um, Eric? I think that I remember saying once in a public interview with Joshua Bell, violin playing is a young man's game. And he took great offense at this. And we can think of exceptions like Milstein, prominently. But I think basically it is. I think they lose facility. I think violinists work in very tight quarters. And very, very rare, I think,
0: is the violinist who is
1: truly satisfying beyond, say, age 50. Do you think that's nuts? No,
0: I don't at all. There, There is, as you say, it's tight quarters. I mean, there, there are so many tiny details that go into to viol- violin playing if you suffer even the slightest bit in your control of the bow i mean there goes your the the tone that everybody knows you by i mean t- leaving leaving aside the sort of sausage fingers phenomenon that affects pianists yeah. too yeah
1: yeah i'll give you another item eric yeah. um, chicago symphony is coming Mm -hmm. with Ricardo Muti. That can't be too bad. And I guess I'll go hear Dorothea Rushman sing a recital with Malcolm Martineau. Now, this is a risky thing. I think she's one of the greatest singers of our time. I think she's one of the greatest singers ever in opera and song. I think she's, I've called her a Schwarzkopf of our age. Wow. (laughs) Indeed. But I heard her in an opera a few years ago, and I thought, oh, she's done. She's finished. She's expired like a carton of milk. And then I heard her subsequently, and she was herself. I thought, great, she's not done. And then I heard a recital that was awful. Absolutely awful. And it was, I could barely sit through it. I don't know whether or not she's done, but there is no shame in being done. People think, you know, they don't like to talk about it, they don't like to hear it impolite to say. Singing is like sports. No one says, oh, it, 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 it's rude to suggest that Jack Nicholas can't win the Masters today. Why? Why is it rude? Uh, singers are like athletes, and sometimes they get done.
0: Oh, they Always they get done. Are you referring, the last recital you're talking about, were you referring to the one that you did at Carnegie Hall here a couple of years ago? Yeah, was it with Mitsuko Uchida? I believe it was, yeah. yeah.
1: Dreadful.
0: I remember being very uh, happy with that recital. you? Really? So it's all all in the hero, maybe. Okay. Or I'll just defer to your um, to, to your considerably larger expe- expertise. Um, I remember too, just a, an interesting note here that she she sang as an encore on that concert, that great Hugo Wolf lead Kent du das Land, yeah, um, and she's singing the Schubert version on this one. Hmm. Uh, I have here. Speaking of. Assemblages of uh, of superstars, a program of the three Brahms piano trios, which mm. are maybe three of my favorite yeah. items of chamber music. Yeah, Emanuel Ax, Leonidas Kavakos, and Yo-Yo Ma. Mm. I mean, this is like harkening back to the days when uh, when Yasha Heifetz and and uh, and somebody like Horowitz might get together and play some Brahms. I mean, this is a... This is a lot of star power in one trio.
1: Hmm. I'll tell you one thing about that um, B Major trio. Hmm. I think it's one of the best Brahms pieces because it's early Brahms and late Brahms. Yep. Uh, he wrote it when he was quite young and he rewrote it when he was old. And it has those wonderful qualities of those periods in Brahms in one piece. I have... Uh, Alexander Tarot, a very good pianist, particularly in Baroque music, playing the Goldberg Variations. On the piano, I should emphasize. Huh. That, I think, will be very good. The Vienna Philharmonic is coming with Gustavo Dudamel. And I'll say about this that, first, it's very interesting, and a high tribute to Dudamel, I think. First of all, he's invited by the Vienna Phil to conduct it. That's a high tribute. But also, not one of these three programs has a soloist. It's Mm. all Dudamel and the orchestra. That is remarkable, actually. Let me note, too, that he is conducting an Ives symphony at number two. It was written at the turn of the 20th century, but it wasn't premiered until a half century later by Leonard Bernstein and the New York Phil uh, when Ives was still alive. And he got to hear it, I believe... I know he got to hear it on the radio. It, it, it's not every day you hear a tenor in recital. Tenor recitals are very rare. Mm-hmm. But Piotr Bekshawa, the Polish tenor, is a recitalist. And he's performing at Carnegie Hall. We're talking about Carnegie Hall here in this segment with the excellent Martin Katz. Daniel Ilkrifonov, the young Russian pianist, is playing... A, I don't know if it's two pianos or four hands. But anyways, playing a recital
0: with his teacher, Sergei Babayan... I've got one on March 4th, uh, Anna-Sophie Mutter and um, yeah. Lambert Orcus. Yeah. Uh, a great duo, and they've they've been working together for a long time. One of the recitals that they did together a few years ago was uh, a highlight of that season. I remember this amazing premiere that she played for solo violin by uh, by Penderecki called um, La Folia. Mm-hmm. One of the best pieces for solo violin that I have heard in a long time. Yeah. And she's doing, they're doing together a program of, of Previn and Penderecki, the Brahms second violin sonata, and that immortal, immortal item of the solo violin repertoire and just the repertoire generally, the Bach violin partita number two in D minor.
1: I think it's great there'll be this new piece by Andre Previn, one of. And Sophie's former husbands. I think Andres had five wives or six or something. And she's Uh, had three husbands? Don't know. But um, so the numbers, they add up. Uh, But he's still writing for her. And I just checked the other day. It was Martin Luther King Day. And, um, you know, they're the same age. Martin Luther King seems like such a, he seems to us such a distant figure. And he was. He was murdered at 39. He and Previn were born the same year. Wow and uh, we've enjoyed his music and his music making decade after decade
0: uh, I look forward to hearing this piece mm. there are several big opera and concert performances yeah. coming up one is the, the Bavarian State Opera uh, under Kirill Petrenko coming and doing an entire concert which of course we just had at the Met last year on stage
1: you know I don't know if I'm in favor of that I, Rosenkavalier I, specifically in concert? Yeah. Or, or generally no no, spec- no, no specifically. Okay. It is such a theatrical piece. Now there's great music in it, I grant you. but I do believe that vast stretches of that score need staging. I, I in fact think of much of the, the and, beginning of the third act actually, and sometimes it's not well done that I mean it's Stravinsky said, thousands of people go to, to Rosen Cavalier every year and are bored." Hmm. They are. They should be. Um, it, 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 it's an opera that depends on a really good performance. Uh, playing and singing and stage direction helps too, of course. Other, it can be a deathly
0: dull opera. But interesting to choose it for... I would, wouldn't have thought to do it in concert. Well, the uh, the other one that I'm noting here is the Boston Symphony Orchestra with Andres Nelson's is coming down and doing a Tristan isolde Act 2 mm-hmm. with... Now that I'm looking at the cast list, Jonas Kaufmann is Tristan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably better in the concert hall than the opera house for him. Hmm. An interesting thing about the Bavarian State Opera is that it's an opportunity for a New York audience to hear the next music director, the Berlin Philharmonic. Yeah. Which is arguably the best orchestra in the world, most important orchestra in the world.
0: Uh, there are two programs, or maybe three, I've, I've written down two here two programs of the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra with Maris Janssens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm loving this this one on May 4th. Frank Peter Zimmermann, one of the, I think one of the, the great violinists of, of today, performing Prokofiev's first violin concerto. And the rest of the program is Rossini's William Tell Overture, which everybody I knows I love that loves. they have the guts to play yeah, that. Yeah,
1: right? I love they have the guts to play that. It's one of the best Rossini overtures. It's one of the best overtures. Uh, and Beethoven's Eroica. Yeah. I've done something odd. Of course, I cherish all nine of them and would give up a limb before giving up any of those symphonies. I must say, I'm not as high on the third symphony as the world at large is. Never really? have been, even since I was a child. Yeah, never have been. I'm not sure it isn't too long. Well, I... I, There's some Beethoven symphonies I regard as perfect. Number seven being the obvious example. Number five. Yep. Number
0: four. Number eight. Um, I don't think number three is. Well, I think to your point about it being too long, the fastest, the, the only the only performance of the Eroica that I've ever heard that actually approached Beethoven's tempo. Toscanini. No. Huh. Uh, well, I, the fastest I've heard in, in yeah. person, actually. Huh. And and before I tell you who did it, it's it's abs- It was absolutely thrilling. I mean, it. He got through this this enormous symphony in something like forty or forty-five minutes, which is a, a breakneck pace by most people's standards. High Who? Yannick Neze Oh, really? And it was the most thrilling Eroica that I have ever heard in person. Oh. Uh, you you really get a sense of the driving energy of the piece when it's played at a tempo that you know isn't sort of harkening back to. Uh, Back to the era of... is isn't ponderous. Yeah, the Carl the Böhm or, uh, or Furtwängler style of... Let's uh, stretch... We love our Beethoven but, so much, let's stretch him out all afternoon. I think that about wraps up uh, Carnegie Hall for me. I got
1: one more performance there. Okay. Yevgeny Kissen piano recital with the Hammerklavier Sonata and boatloads of Rachmaninoff Preludes. Hmm. Um, I heard this recital in Salzburg last summer, and uh, Rachmaninoff was exceptional, and the Beethoven was um,
0: defensible. I've got a few things from the Chamber Music Society that I want to yeah point out. Uh, they, I love the Chamber Music Society's style of programming. Me too. I was going to say that. Yeah. Great minds. They, they always have. They always have an interesting way of framing a program, and even beyond that, just the fact that they their model is have a big roster of musicians for the season and uh, trot them out for various concerts means you can have like a a, a piano and uh, violin sonata and a string octet and a, a wind trio all on the same concert. And one of their themes this season is they've. They've thought, well, let's uh, look through the archives and dig up some interesting historical programs. So one of these is, it's on March 23rd. The title of the program is 14th of March, 1824. And the program is Schubert's Rosamunde Quartet, which is one of my favorites, and Beethoven's Septet, Septet- and E-flat major for Winds and Strings.
1: I, I singled out a program of theirs called The Roaring Twenties.
0: Yes. Which so includes
1: Janáček, Copland, Gershwin, and Korngold. I love that foursome of composers. Really good idea.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there's a, um, there's a February 9th program of César Frank, who Everybody knows the, uh, that wonderful sonata for violin and piano, often for cello and piano. And the symphony. And the symphony. And they're giving us more, the um, prelude, chorale, and fugue for piano, and the quintet in F minor for piano, two violins, viola, and cello. So get a little more than your standard Frank diet. Also underrated as a song composer, may I say. Hmm. I don't know that I know his, uh, his song catalog. You do, yeah. Anything from the fill for you?
1: Let me get to the right page, Eric. I'll just rattle along here like get there. Yeah. Absolutely from the fill. <laughs> I, I noted some things for um, different reasons. Obviously, uh, that's what we're doing here. One here, Jaap van one of the best conductors in the world. Fabulously disciplined, smart, knowledgeable man, and also a musical and impassioned one. He's truly a great conductor. And the new uh, music director of the the New York York Phil. I was shocking hire, by the way. (laughs) And he's doing uh, act one of uh, Die Walkure, the the second of the Ring operas. And um, I look forward to that. And also to hear him conduct uh, the Prokofiev Symphony Number no. Five, I I definitely want to hear that. I want to hear Esa Pekka Salonen conduct the Eroika Symphony. I don't really know, Salonen as a Beethoven man. No, neither do I. I want to hear Eschenbach conduct the Bruckner Ninth. That's a, that's a symphony that that very senior conductors especially like to conduct. In fact. I, is not a senior conductor, but I heard him conduct it last night. with The Bau Orchestra. Manfred Honek, I list him because he's one of the best conductors in the world. Yeah. Um, coming to conduct the New York Philharmonic. So those are my
0: highlights. And he's uh, conducting a fantasy of his own arrangement um, on Dvorak's Rusalka. Oh, that's great. Uh, also on that program are some selections from Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty and the Sibelius Violin Concerto, played by Nikolai Schneider, who the following weekend will be conducting the New York Phil, uh, and on that program is one of my, uh, this is sort of in my, in my category of drop everything else and go here at pieces, the Elgar Cello Concerto, played by Jean Wang. It, it, it's funny you should mention that, because I was just thinking about Schneider, he
1: played the best Elgar Violin Concerto I've ever heard, ever, hmm. with, with Colin Davis. And I've not heard him play that well or even well since. Really?
0: No. Nope. Oh. It has been a while since I've heard him, but I don't think of him as... And I love
1: his recorded Brahms sonatas with Bronfman.
0: Right. He's not past your violin
1: sell-by date, I don't <sighs> think. It's just a notion I have. I'm not even sure I'm right. But I think there's a real. I'll tell you something sort of funny, a curious fact. You know, there's a reason violin sections are filled with women in their 20s. right? I think there must be. Funny thing about Russian orchestras, often they look like youth orchestras. Why? No union protections. No union protections. They broom them. They're absolutely unprotected. Now, I can argue this either way, I think. I don't really have a position on this. I remember inquiring about that because I noticed this. Personnel in Russian orchestras is very, very young. They broom them as soon as they're the least brittle. Hmm. Now, in our tenured situation over here, I've seen orchestra musicians hang on to the last trump and the sounds they made were appalling in some cases but that that's the way we do it. I can argue that's a different podcast really. Well, yeah, I yes. think it's kind of interesting.
0: At the Armory, Nadine Sierra, the uh, the latest George London award. Hang on, you got any New York more New York Phil stuff? I'm done with the New York Phil, All are right. you? Yes. All right. Um, yeah, at the Armory, Nadine Sierra, the the wonderful young soprano, is, uh, is giving a recital of songs by Schumann, Strauss, Barber, Bernstein, and some Spanish and Brazilian composers. So really kind of reach into the hat and just pull anything out.
1: I love an eclectic recital. I love a recital without a theme. Yeah. Give me a themeless program any day. I love it. It's sort the opposite of what we said about uh, Chamber Music Society, but... I love the grab bag.
0: Great performers.
1: I gave up a while ago on the violinist Christian Tetzloff.
0: Yeah, I, I did too. And I thought I would check back in to see if he's well now. Right. Well, he's doing an all Bach, all solo Bach program. So if there's if there's ever a, um, exposed. a standard test, that's the one. Yeah. I wonder. I I'll wonder. look forward to your report.
1: Yeah. And I haven't heard him in many, many seasons. Mm-hmm. Because I just, I didn't, I thought he was suffering from something. And, um, still these big bookings.
0: Yep. But, you know, that doesn't always...
1: No. someone has to do with fame,
0: and somewhat has to do with, you know, the fact that presenting organizations book a long way ahead. Right. Uh, Garrick Olson is giving a an all Beethoven recital, and it's... Sort of a... Uh, it's just a lineup of everybody's favorite Beethoven sonatas. The Pathétique. Nicknamed ones? Yeah. The Pathétique, the Appassionata, the Waldstein, and the Moonlight.
1: Mm, that's great.
0: The tenor Mark Padmore. I believe
1: it's a British tenor. Mm-hmm. Wonderful singer. Wonderful leader singer. And he's doing a recital with Paul Lewis of Schumann and Brahms. I
0: Padmore is one of the best leader singers I know. Lifelong. Another uh, very... Well... Actually, I don't think of him so much as a leader singer, though he is. Um, Gerald Finley, the bass baritone, yeah, who's uh, is. Yeah. A, also a wonderful, uh, a wonderful Opera operatic singer. singer. He, yeah. was, he was just in that run of um, Thais of the Met yeah. and was sublime in it. He was absent the night I went. Oh, my the God, night. no. Yeah. It was a fine
1: substitute. <laughs> yeah. Fine substitute, yeah. Oh,
0: but you missed out. And he's giving a recital with Julius Drake, who is one of the finest leader accompanists of today. Gustavo Dudamel again. Yeah, with his own orchestra. With the L.A. Phil, his own, his own band. They're doing a, a piece by Ezepe, Ezepeka Salonen. As far as I know, the title hasn't even been released. So a really new work. Uh, and Shostakovich's great fifth symphony. Mm-hmm. And, and and the Varez Amerik is in there, too. Yes. And
1: then he's doing the Beethoven Ninth Symphony, uh, preceded by the Chichester Psalms of Bernstein. Hmm. Everyone's doing Bernstein this year because it's
0: his centennial year. And then uh, Rattle, Simon Rattle, is coming through with the LSO. His, uh, I guess, his new outfit. Yeah. Mm hmm. Sort of funny to think of it as his new outfit going back to the UK. Yeah. And it's an all Mahler weekend. Symphony number nine, Symphony number 10, Das Lied von der Erde. Mm
1: hmm. Bernstein says that uh, the Song of the Earth is Mahler's greatest symphony. I must say, I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, but he said it more than once.
0: Bernstein, by the way, has uh, been on Jay's mind a lot. You should uh, should all read his upcoming feature piece in the New Criterion on the Bernstein Centenary.
1: Thank you. I don't, with Mahler, I don't think anything is better than 2, 3, and 9. I love the first symphony as well.
0: I, I love the first too, and I'm I'm definitely with you on too. In fact, we're both hearing uh, we're both hearing the first tonight. Yeah, the Royal Kontrabow Orchestra.
1: Yeah. I, not often I can say this. Can I can I name drop? Please, I'm, I was talking to Marilyn Horn the other day, <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, we there's were, a name drop. We were talking about great first symphonies: Beethoven, Brahms, Brahms, uh, Mahler, Shostakovich, uh, Prokofiev. Nifty little classical symphony, and 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 so on, and ones I'm forgetting. And I said, I must say, I'd Mahler first. And Horn said, I'll fight you for the Brahms.
0: <laughs> She's a real Brahmsaholic. As oh, a Brahms. I am too. Yeah. I am too. too. All four of those Brahms symphonies, I would fight you for. Even three. Even three. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, especially one and four, but but uh, even three. I'd give anything to trim the last movement of a second, which I love so mm. much. give
1: anything to trim it. That's another discussion. So that was great performers. You got anything from the 92nd Street Y? You mentioned something. I meant,
0: yeah, I, I, I think I basically ran through it in that uh, there's there's that tenor, Christophe uh, Prigardian singing that immortal cycle of Schubert's, Winterreise, yeah. which I can never listen to enough. You don't mind it from a tenor then, rather than a lower voice. I don't mind it. All right. No, yeah, neither um, if it's done right. Yeah, and in fact, I uh, after reading Ian Bostridge's book on it a couple of years ago, uh, brilliant guy, brilliant guy, great singer, he made a pretty good case. You know, I, I'm still going to listen to my Matthias Goni and my uh, and, and my Fisher but yeah. he made a pretty good case of uh, why it why we should hear more tenors sing it.
1: At the 92nd Street Y is appearing one of the greatest flutists of all time, Hmm. Emmanuel Pau, the Swiss flutist, who's a principal in the Berlin Berlin Phil, playing with a very good pianist, Alessio Bax. And for many, many years, all the the years I've lived in New York, New York City Opera has introduced me to repertoire I didn't know, not necessarily new pieces, but old pieces that I haven't known, and uh, I've learned a lot of repertoire thanks to the New York City Opera, and they're still doing it in their present incarnation. They are giving the New York premiere of Donizetti's first opera, uh, Pygmalion, and they're pairing it with the Pygmalion of Rameau. So I think that is um, an enticement. And also they're staging an opera called Um, The Love of Three Kings, L'Amore de Tre Re, by Italo Montemezzi, from 1913. One of those many, many pieces influenced by both Wagner and Debussy. It's probably symbolist. I'm not sure. But it's a real service that that New York City Opera provides, uh, introducing uh, people to these operas they would otherwise uh, never see or hear.
0: Yeah, and I think their uh, their resurgence over the last couple of years has been very good for our uh, for our musical culture here.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, there there is one thing off the top of my head that I saw ninety two Y is doing. I'm not. Uh, I didn't write down the details of it, unfortunately. But the great cellist Stephen Isserlis will be appearing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the pleasure of hearing him last October at uh, Wigmore Hall in London, and man can that guy play
1: mm-hmm. so, well Eric who are your favorite composers these days the composers <laughs> the composers who are meaning the most to you in this current period Schubert yeah
0: huh. yeah he, now, always, he always teaches me it could be worse you know yeah
1: <laughs> do you put him in the you put him in the highest rank with Bach, Mozart and Beethoven oh yeah
0: absolutely yeah. To, to me nobody uh, nobody before Schubert and nobody since Schubert has been a better composer of song. Every he, he sort of he almost obliterated everybody who came in the genre before him, and everybody since him has lived in his shadow. I don't feel that strong about it. I, I know what you mean. I um He thinks so? Yeah. I, I do. Mm-hmm. Schumann is great, Strauss is Brahms great, Rams is great, Wolf is, yeah. is great, I mean the, the, the French, the French are great, mm-hmm. but still I, I feel like they're all there's a simplicity,
1: sort of a genius simplicity that, that comes through Schubert. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. I'll tell you once, I am um, talking to my friend, the composer, uh, Michael Hirsch, for a piece I wrote about him, A Profile. And he loves all of music from Gregorian chant to today, right? And I said, gunned gun to head, your favorite music. And he said Schubert. I think he said late Schubert, frankly. Hmm. Well, the, I think his words were pretty much does it for me.
0: Yeah. That C major string quartet or string quintet is yeah. something. Arthur Rubinstein said he wanted it played at his bedside as he was
1: expiring. I also thought it was macabre. And I, 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 <laughs> I read that when I was a kid. And Rubinstein wasn't dead. At all, far from it. Right. When I read this. I always thought that was... TMI, we'd right. say now, but that—that—that's
0: yeah. what he wanted. He wanted that very piece. Isn't that more or less the, the story we have about Schubert's own death? I don't know it. I—I I, I think the the story is something like a, a few days before his death. It's put it in the category of um, of Mozart hearing a uh, a rehearsal of the the Lacrimosa um, on his deathbed. But supposedly Schubert uh, had a few friends over to read through the C major string quintet for him. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan, Eric. Always a pleasure, Jay. Big, so big fan. Eric.
0: We're we're both through our notes here. So I um, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast, and I, I hope even more that you enjoy listening to uh, to all that the New York musical season has to offer. So I encourage you read Jay and me in the upcoming issue of the New Criterion. Jay on Bernstein, me on Manfred Honeck and the uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. You can read online on at newcriterion.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram even. Uh, and I hope you'll keep listening to more of these podcasts. James Panero just had one out with Michael J. Lewis. Until then. And if you've heard any remarks you really strongly object to, write to Eric. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you can Or tweet at Jay. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get back to you. He's a, he's a master tweeter. Yeah. So Sounds almost dirty. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. (laughs) Until next time.